This morning's reading comes from Philippians 3:12 through 4:1. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destruction, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The word of the Lord. There we go. Sorry, I was on mute. I'm Ricky Allegretto. I'm the youth director here at Rockwell Prez, um, and I have the privilege of uh, speaking with, to y'all this morning and teaching. We're going through the book of Philippians. We are in chapter 3, and we are covering the second half of chapter 3 this morning. I want to start by telling a story, and for the story, I need a picture. There it is. This is recently we received a story from one of our deep forest pastors, Pastor Raju and his wife, Kamala, in India. This is Pastor Raju and his wife. They went to a new village. They shared a Bible story, prayed with those who asked for prayer, and then a group of drunken men came up and started harassing them. They left in a hurry, but the group followed them and began throwing stones at them. The stones hit every part of their body. They were in a dire situation. Thankfully, a car pulled up, and the men ran off, probably saving their lives. This isn't the first time that Pastor Raju has been beaten for the gospel. You've probably actually heard his story before. There's the pastor with the drum. If you've heard the story of the pastor with the drum, you've heard Pastor Raju's story. He went to a different village where he beat a drum to gather the children and the people in order to preach to them, and the men of the village told him that they were going to beat him once for every time that he beat the drum, and then they did. So my question this morning for you, for us, is why do they do it? What motivates Pastor Raju and his wife Kamala to get up every day and to go out and to preach, knowing that that day could be their last. If Pastor Raju were to come to us uh, at CRI and say, I don't think I should do this anymore. I think maybe I should find another way to serve Christ. No one would blink an eye. In fact, we might even say that makes sense, right? Might sound like it might even be a good idea. And yet, for he and his wife, there's something that they are pressing into that motivates them 
and makes the risk and the suffering worth it to them. Their lives have been gathered up. They've been taken hold of. And they are now focused on a purpose that's worth everything to them. So what is it? If I have a hard enough time just being motivated to get up out of bed when the, my alarm goes off for the first time in the morning and go to the office, right? If there's any hardship or suffering involved in my work or in my life or in my family or in my relationships, it's easy to just say, count me out. Uh, it's easy to check out. In fact, I have done that. We all have, right? We get home, we've had a hard day from work, and we just want to check out, right? We know that the kids need tending to, dinner needs to be made, dishes need to be done, there's bills to be paid, that our spouse shouldn't have to carry that burden alone. We know that our neighbors uh, have, are, have had needs. Maybe uh, someone in our church has just been laid off. There's Bible studies to go to, prayer times, and yet we've had a hard day. So count me out. Netflix sounds good right now, right? Bed. Sleep, that's my escape, right? Wake up in the morning and try again. Um, but for Pastor Raju and his wife, there's no such indifference. It's gone. The casualness is over, right? Like Paul, they can really say that for them to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what am I doing wrong? What are we doing wrong, right? What do Raja and Kamala know that we don't? Is, there some, is that something that any of us can tap into? Whatever motivates them? Or is that just for super Christians? Like Paul, like the deep forest pastors. But not for us. Well, in our passage today, Paul answers that very question. He tells us there's three things to keep in mind that can help us to have this same mindset that we find in Paul, that we find in Pastor Raju and Kamala. Uh, those three things that we're going to look at today are first, that we have a calling, and that should motivate us. We're motivated by our calling. Second, we have a community, and that should motivate us. We're motivated by our community. And third, we have a citizenship, and that should motivate us. Uh, we are motivated by our citizenship. So first we have a calling that motivates us. In our passage, Paul says this. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what's the call? This call is what Paul's been talking about for the last three chapters. Everything has led up to this point in the book. In fact, um, some people think this is the consummation of everything that he's said so far, right? In chapter 2, he's given us the great example, the beautiful poem about Christ and how Christ has sacrificed everything. He emptied himself. He humbled himself and became a man and sacrificed even to the point of death, even death on the cross, right? And so many people say that's the center message of the book of Philippians is this example of who Christ is and what he's done for us. And then here is the consummation of that. So how do we respond to it? What does it mean for the Philippians? What does it mean for us? What is the call that, calls, that Paul's been talking about for the last three chapters? It's a call to know Christ. 
It's a call to live for Christ, to walk with him even when it's hard because it's worth it. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But sometimes it is hard, right? He says to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 29, first of all, he's writing them from prison, right? So his own situation is hard. And this is what he promises them. He says, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So if you ever go to a church where they tell you there's no suffering in the Christian life and that if you have enough faith, everything will go well, then you know that, that's not, that a false gospel is being preached. Because right here in Philippians, we're told not only will we suffer, but that it's a privilege to suffer, suffer for Christ, that it's a call, that it's something that's been granted to us, that we will know him more when we suffer with him. And then in chapter 2, he tells us that we need to have the same mindset that was found in Christ Jesus. That mindset was he emptied himself. He humbled himself even to the point of death. And in last week's passage, we were told that we should consider our own interests and status as worthless compared to the call to know Christ, that we may gain Christ. But we do all of this Because of that, because we have the opportunity and chance to gain Christ, that makes it worth it, right? We have a call. We have a chance to know him, to fellowship with him, to have the same mind as him, to be a part of his purposes, to be a part of his mission. And that's the upward call of Christ Jesus that each of us has. It's been granted to us not only to believe in him, but we also have an upward upward call to fulfill the purposes that he gives us, including, at times, suffering. So while I was in college, uh, I took a class that was offered at a local church. It's a national class, but they partner with local churches to host it, uh, called Perspectives on World Missions. And maybe you've heard of it. Some of you may have taken that class before. The unique thing about me taking that class, it's just a primer on world missions and what God has been doing throughout the history of the world. Um, The unique thing for me, though, is I'm a missionary kid. I'm an MK. So it's like, oh, what am I going to learn in this? This is my life for the last 18 years, right? Um, And yet, I'll tell you this. It revolutionized my life, changed me forever. You see, I had this deep, deep fear and inside of me, that God was going to force me to be a missionary, um, which is ironic, as you may or may not know, today I am a missionary with Children's Relief International. I had this deep fear, though, at the time, uh, that in order to please God, if I wanted to walk with him, that I was, he was going to call me to do something crazy that I wouldn't want to do, and that I was going to have to give up everything and be a missionary and live on support like my parents, uh, and I didn't want that. And yet, as I took this class, Perspectives in World Missions, a different picture was painted. It was a picture where God has been at work throughout all of history and all of time, establishing his kingdom around the world. And he has a kingdom plan and purpose in place, and nothing can thwart it. And he doesn't need any of us to do anything in order to get it to be accomplished. He will accomplish his purposes, what he has set out to do. Every other promises of the Lord are all yes and amen, right? And yet, 
God loves us so much that he desires to do it together with us. He desires to invite us into his purposes, to invite us into fellowship with him, invite us into the things that excite him, into the things that we've been designed to do for him and do it together. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He desires us, right? I learned instead in that class that God didn't need me, but that he wanted me. He was inviting me to participate in that plan with him. And that is what was so radical and life-changing for me. But Paul tells us the same thing here in this passage. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So I press forward to grab onto this upward call to fulfill this call of Christ Jesus. Why? Because I've already been grabbed a hold of. We don't press on to prove something to God, to earn his favor, like Zach talked about last week. We don't need our own righteousness. It's not enough. We can never earn it on our own. We've been given Christ's righteousness already. We have already been grabbed. We have already been claimed. We have already been loved. And because of that, we press on into the upward call of Christ Jesus, the purposes that he's given, us, given to us, not to earn it, but because we already have it. So... The reason that Paul was motivated, the reason he presses on and strains forward is because Christ Jesus had already made him his own. If we look at Pastor Raju's story again, um, we can see the same thing. I, I'm going I'm to butcher this, but he's from the Indian village of Dersinopoli. All right, that's my best attempt. Dersinopoli. And for years before he trusted Christ... An old preacher used to come to his family's house and tell Pastor Raju about Jesus, but Raju never listened to him. After a time, Raju was diagnosed with leukemia, and eventually he was admitted, admitted into the hospital, and he was told that he would die from his cancer within days. When the preacher visited him in the hospital, he prayed for him, and he told Raju this. He said, if Jesus heals you, then you will know that he is God, and you must serve him. Okay, pretty straightforward. Yeah, sure. So that night, Raju had a dream. In the dream, he saw Christ's blood raining down on him. And he sensed that it was healing his body. The next day, in the hospital, the test showed that his cancer was gone. He trusted Christ soon afterwards, immediately afterwards. And he began to learn the Bible from the, pa from the pastor. Uh, and he began his ministry in the deep forest and eventually planted a church and has helped us now plant several churches. He is strongly committed to spreading the gospel to the poor in the deep forest, but he isn't trying to earn God's favor. He's committed because he's already experienced God's favor. God has grabbed a hold of Pastor Raju, and so because God has laid a hold of him, he presses forward to lay a hold of the upward call that is found in Christ Jesus. So does this, mean, though, does this mean for us that we all have to have some sort of dramatic conversion experience to look back on, to know that we've been called? No, absolutely, by no means, right? If we know Christ, if we've believed in him, if it has been granted to us the privilege to believe in him, um, then 
it's because he's already grabbed a hold of us, right? So anything that we do in response to his call is a response to his call. Anything that we do should be motivated to do is because he first loved us. He has reached down and grabbed a hold of us. And that should motivate us. Well, Paul also tells us, though, not only do we have a call, but we have a community. What does he mean by that? How does a community motivate us? He says this, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Paul says, you have examples. You're surrounded by a cloud of witness. There's people who are going before you who are experiencing these same things. I'm here in jail. You can look to me in addition to Christ. You have a community of people surrounding you um, who are pressing forward to the upward call that is found in Christ Jesus. Just like the Philippians, we are surrounded by a community of believers that serve as an example to us. And it's a global community of believers. People like Pastor Raju and his wife Kamala. But not just them, not just the pastors in the deep forest. We have the example of the women in the deep forest who have trusted Christ. They don't have any special standing or ministry. They're untouchables. In fact, many of them are, are illiterate. They're day laborers. Um, and they are looked down on by Indian society. When they trust Christ, they are often beaten by their husbands. And yet they're faithful to come to church, to learn about God, to study the word of God, to worship God, to be a witness to their families and to their communities. They are light, despite the fact that they have nothing. But we don't have to just look all the way to the other side of the world. We can look right here. We're surrounded by a community here. People like David Kravitz. David Kravitz uses his IT consulting business as a way to share the gospel with his clients. And ask David about the story that he's experienced this last month where he spoke to a guy who is in charge of a company, an Indian guy who's a Hindu, and his wife is a radical Hindu. And he was able to share with him the gospel and share with him about what we do in the deep forest and about how he's going on this trip. And this man was absolutely floored and touched and has given thousands and thousands of dollars to send David overseas to his home state to preach the gospel of Christ. Um, it's a pretty amazing story, pretty amazing thing. We're surrounded by people like Randy Letourneau, who goes several times a year to Africa, to Liberia, to offer clean water to every village in the country of Liberia in the name of Christ, right? Um, we are surrounded by people like Ken and Val Reiner, who sacrificed their time and resources in order to build a thriving 50-plus ministry so that people can have community right here within our church. We're surrounded by people like the Spans, who are just the most recent, and so many others in our church, to adopt children and to bring them into their home and love them as their own because of the love that they've experienced in the name of Christ. We've been loved by Christ. We're a part of a community that's been loved by Christ. And that's a great example to us. We're surrounded by that. It's counterintuitive, though, to the me-first culture in our, in our culture today that we're surrounded by, right? And this isn't a new thing, this me-first culture. It's the same culture that the Philippians were surrounded by as well. Paul says to the Philippians, There are many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly or their own appetite. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. We have a choice. We can choose to participate with a community here that serves, a community that's pressing into Christ, that values knowing him above all else, or we can settle for something less. We can buy into the culture where we're told the here and now is all that matters and our personal happiness is our chief goal. Paul tells us that we should choose the community that will motivate us to know Christ and fulfill that upward call that we've been called to. Well, lastly, Paul says that our citizenship should also pursue, uh, motivate us to pursue Christ. He reminds the Philippians and us that our core identity has changed and that we're now citizens of heaven. Again, this concept was particularly significant to the Philippians because they were a Roman colony or commonwealth. Uh, their identity was very much wrapped up in their Roman citizenship with all of its rights and privileges, but also with its responsibilities. As Roman citizens who were outside the city of Rome, it was their responsibility to represent Rome to the barbarians. Rome was overpopulated. Rome was, uh, as a city, was somewhat on the decline. And so the empire thought, well, if we can't bring everyone here, let's send in everyone out, right? Let's establish Rome all throughout the empire, all throughout the kingdom. And so it was their job as Roman citizens to represent Rome and the values of Rome. They were charged with creating many Romes within a foreign and uneducated land. And they were to promote the emperor as the savior of the empire. Emperor worship was rampant. He was considered a god. He was the savior that everyone would look to. So Paul takes this idea and he uses it to remind them that they have an even greater citizenship. His point is not that they should simply just long for a day when they'll leave this earth and be taken to the heavenly kingdom, their home in heaven. His point is that as long as they are on earth, it's their responsibility to represent heaven, to create the culture of heaven right where they are to promote Christ because he, Christ, is the one whom God has highly exalted and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue in heaven, every knee should bow on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is the Savior whom we eagerly await. Will we follow his example, Christ's example, will we humble ourselves like he did because we're promised his transforming power to help us in order to do it. We are promised that we will receive a resurrection like he did, that we will receive a glorious body like he did. He was faithful to his call. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. And because of that, he's now been exalted and given all power. And that's the power that he now offers to us. That's the type of resurrection that he now wants us to have. That's the type of glorious body that we one day will receive as well. And that motivates us. Our citizenship is in heaven, and that motivates us. In Haiti, we work with Jean and Jean-Marie Joseph. They're Haitians, and they minister to pastors and to women and children and communities in southern Haiti. This year has been a difficult year for them, though. Uh, there's been protests and unrest 
the country's been shut down because people are unhappy with a corrupt government. Gas costs $15 a gallon right now in Haiti. Um, and the Joseph's ministry has been hampered and shut down. They've spent more time at home, holed up, because it's unsafe to go out than they have been able this year to be able to do their ministry that they've been called to. The funny thing, or the unique thing, about the Joseph situation is that they're American citizens. Even though they're Haitian, uh, they came to the U.S. at a young age, they're American citizens. They grew up here, and they went back to Haiti. So by all rights, they can come home anytime they want. They could say, this is too hard. We're not able to fulfill the ministry that we felt called to do, so we're going to go home and serve God another way. We're going to pastor a Haitian church in Texas, right? Um, Jean's brother pastors Haitian churches in the Austin-San Antonio area. He can go and work with them. He's got a standing invitation to do so. And yet they believe... Uh, that they have a citizenship that's more important than their U.S. citizenship, and they stay because of that more important citizenship. Not only that, they're surrounded by a community of pastors there who they've invested in, and they are supported by uh, financial partners here and CRI. They're surrounded by a community that encourages them to stay true to the purposes that God's called them to. And then ultimately, they have their call. They believe that they're where they're supposed to be, that they're where they're called to be. And so they stay because they recognize their citizenship in heaven means that they're little emissaries of heaven right there in southern Haiti in the midst of the chaos and the midst of the hardship. That's the example that we have, that we're surrounded by. We have that same citizenship. We have the same call to be faithful within the context that God's placed us to minister to those around us, even when it hurts even when it's hard. I want to tell you the rest of Pastor Raju's story. Pastor Raju and his wife, Kamala, went back to that village that we talked about at the beginning, the one that threw stones at them. And they met the, the instigator, the ringleader, the one who had started the stone throwing. And guess what? They led him to Christ. And now... That whole entire village is open to them, and they're uh, working to plant a church there because of the doorway that God's opened, because they remained faithful in the midst of suffering. They went back. They showed up. Oftentimes, that's all we have to do is show up, right? We show up, and that in and of itself is pressing forward, right? Because oftentimes, we don't want to. Netflix calls. The pillow calls, right? Checking out calls. Um, when we don't feel like um, our children recognize us for all the work that we do to love and support them, or even worse, when our children grow older and they walk away from the Lord, how do we remain faithful? How do we press forward to the upward call that's in Christ Jesus? When we lose our job and we don't know where our next paycheck's going to come from, where's the calling then, right? How do we suffer through that? And how do we remain faithful to the upward call that we have in Christ Jesus? What does it look like in those contexts, in that scenarios, when we're struggling with our health, um, when we're struggling with our finances, when we're struggling with our marriage? What does it look like to press on and to press in to the upward call for which we've been grabbed a hold of and taken, and taken a hold of? Paul ends the passage by saying, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand 
firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. And I want to point out and end with this. He uses the word crown, the phrase crown. In fact, he's used a lot of running and competing language throughout this, pressing forward to the upward call of the prize that we have in Christ Jesus. And so when he uses the word crown here, he's likely not, he doesn't mean it, the Greek word here is not for like an emperor's crown or a king's crown. The crown here is a laurel. It's a victor's crown, right? So... Uh, if you watch the Olympics, you always see the laurels and all that. Uh, back in the day, when they would compete, the winners would receive a crown of laurels, showing that they had competed well and that they had won. And he tells them, the Philippians, that you guys are my crown. When I look at you, you're the reason I press forward. You're the upward call of Christ Jesus. I know Christ by serving you. I gain Christ when I look at you. And you know what? I would say Pastor Raju and Kamala could say the same thing about these Indian villages. They look at them, and that's their crown. In heaven, they're going to receive their crown, and a part of it will be their faithful service in the midst of persecution to these Indian villages. But let me, let me uh, put it this way. You might not like your boss. You might not always like your spouse or even your kids, right? You might not like your in-laws. You might not like everybody here in the church all the time, Right? And yet this is the context that you've been placed in, and you have the opportunity to serve and to receive a crown. But when you serve and receive that crown, you experience Christ Jesus himself. You gain Christ. So even if I'm not enough reason for gaining my friendship or serving me is not enough reason for you to faithfully serve here in the church, even if your in-laws annoy you and they're not enough reason for you to take this message to heart, is Christ enough? Do you want to know Christ? Do you want to gain Christ? Do you want to gain his glorious body? Do you want to gain the crown that he offers you for the upward call that he's placed upon your life? That's what he's holding out. That's what Paul is reminding us of. We have a call, an upward call, and it's to gain Christ. It's that we may know him. And as long as we're on this earth to live as Christ, let's make sure to die as gain. Let's pray. Thank you, Father God, um, for the upward call that you've placed on us and that we can know that your power is available to fulfill that call and that we press forward simply because, simply because you've already grabbed a hold of us. We press forward to grab hold of that crown. We pray that you would help us to remain faithful in whatever context we're in and remember that we are your body. There is no other body that you have on this earth any longer that we're your hands and your feet. In whatever context we are, we are Christ in that situation. We thank you for your promise to remain faithful with us. We thank you for our identity, which is wrapped up in yours, which is, is in heaven. And we're just humbled um, by the fact that you've taken hold of us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.